Jesus. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, the text is the epistle from Romans 13. Well, last week, if you remember, I teased you. you. You promised to come back, and some of you did. This is wonderful. Now, last Sunday, in the epistle, we heard the categorical mandate from Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the, the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. All right. Hypothetically, if a criminal broke into the parsonage this afternoon and murdered my beloved wife while I was playing golf, how does God give me justice? Do I take matters into my own hands? Do you? Do I organize a vigilante group and most peacefully hunt the man down who did this, burn down his house, and kill him in a frenzy of bloody vengeance? No, we will let the Lord and his vengeance go to work. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord in Romans 12. But again, how does the Lord avenge the injustices perpetrated against us? Where does God execute his wrath against criminals, terrorists, and anarchists in this life? The answer is in the epistle today from Romans 13 through the authorities, the police that would investigate the break-in slash murder at the parsonage, look for and arrest the suspect. The judge and the jury would hear the case, pronounce the guilty sentence, and then proceed to sentence the guilty as sin murderer to either prison for life or perhaps to receive a lethal injection in this state. That's how the Lord has your back. That's the Lord's wrath at work. This is how he repays or gives earthly justice for me or perhaps for you. Now let's remember that Paul writes to Christians that live in Rome and what their life as Christian citizens look like. Remember, brothers and sisters, it is the life of love that flows from faith in Jesus, the Savior. Faith in Savior Jesus sets you right before God, and this also sets you right before others in loving service. Even sets you right before governing authorities, of which today's text speaks. And Paul tells us that our sacrificial life of love consists in this, that we are to be subject to the governing authorities. <clears throat> Now, right away, your old Adamic sinful flesh hears this and goes barmy. Absolute bonkers. Your old sinful nature goes off the deep end. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Your old Adamic sinful flesh is a natural born anarchist. Your old Adam will not be subject or submissive to anyone. Old Adam wants to be the master, not only of his life, but of the entire universe. The old Adam will not submit to God's Good Friday reign of forgiveness and salvation from the cross exercised in the church, and he certainly will not submit to the rule of law in the state. The old Adam has no monarch but himself. 
Old Adam hates order, hates government, hates submission, all the words that are associated with authority. Old Adam wants to write his own rules and determine what is best for him and for him alone. A god within her is what I like to call the old anarchical Adam. This is precisely then why God has given us <clears throat> the gift of civil authority and civil authority. Yes, you heard me correctly when I said gift. Gift as in fourth commandment gift, the gift of authority, not just parental authority, but civil authority. Our catechumens here at Trinity learn this well. Or gift as in daily bread, which includes, among other things, good government and faithful rulers for which we all pray. So every time you pray, give us this day our daily bread. You are begging God. Do you know this? You are begging God to give the president, the governor, the police, the judges, and other civil authorities the wisdom and the strength to govern justly according to the rule of law so that you can live in peace and have daily bread. When I was a little boy, and that's been a very long time ago, I always heard the adults in the room say that government is a necessary evil. I've learned differently from the scriptures. Government is a necessary good. Why? Well, because it is the way that God curbs coarse outbursts of sin. It is the way that God keeps temporal order. It is the way that God provides protections, judges disputes, and keeps you from stealing your neighbor's peace and liberty. I want you to listen carefully. Even if the entire world were Christian, hypothetically, even if Donald Trump were never president, hypothetically, even if every American city council defunded the men and women in blue and replaced them with social workers, hypothetically, even if the Marxist wild-eyed dreamers outlawed capitalism, hypothetically, even if, even if everyone in this country suddenly became wokesters, you know what you'd still need? You would still need laws. You would still need a police force. You would still need judges and courts and prisons and the armed forces. Why? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? It's because as long as people live on this earth, there will always be sinners that sin against each other and sin violently against each other and viciously against each other, especially in the name of their special infallible causes. Even Christians do it. We Lutherans are sinners as well. Oh yes, we're justified for Jesus' sake, of course, but we are sinners too. And so thankfully, God is at work in the civil realm to protect and care for his creatures and his creation through imperfect creatures. Now, I don't know if you were doing the math. I need to do it later, maybe later in between services. But in the text, the Apostle Paul calls the governing authority God's servant or minister at least three or four times in the text. But I want you to note carefully 
that the governing authorities are not ministers of the, the gospel. I'm a minister of the gospel. I'm God's right-hand way of giving out his good Friday son's forgiveness in the word and sacraments to repentant sinners. And so, you know what this means? It means that Nancy Pelosi is not a minister of the gospel. Ted Cruz is not a minister of the gospel. President Trump isn't either. Governor Ricketts isn't. And neither is Joe Biden. Do not expect or even require governing authorities to do what? To forgive sins or preach Christ crucified and risen for your salvation. That's not what the gift of governing authority is all about. So what is the gift of governing authority for? I'm glad you asked. The apostle says in the text that the governing authorities are ministers of God's wrath. Yes, God's fury, God's anger. God's good use of governing authority is to use it as his hands to mete out his wrath against the disorder that sinners unleash on other people. The governing authority is God's left hand of power to punish the wicked with temporal punishments like fines, jail time, and in certain cases, taking human life with a lethal injection, or the way it used to be in this, this state, sparking. This is precisely why we at Trinity pray every Sunday for the governing authorities. To do what? To justly prosecute and punish criminals, anarchists, and terrorists. Again, God's will is to use them as his hands to execute his wrath as his avengers against sin. Avengers against every kind of injustice as his hands to keep some order, some peace, and some safety in the world and the communities in which we live. And when that doesn't happen, well, as we are seeing right now in our country, crime, murder, etc., etc., skyrockets. Just observe, as I just mentioned, what's going on in our cities when the civil authorities abandon or violate their God-given vocation. Now, in addition, brothers and sisters, the governing authority is God's servant for good whereby God rewards what is good and just to protect the innocent, the unborn, the poor, and the elderly. Now that, of course, presumes <clears throat> that presumes that the governing authorities know the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. Many don't. And many choose not to. And brothers and sisters, that should serve as some measure of a guide when you choose the people who will exercise the authority for you this November. Yeah, I went there. Yes, I did. I just went there. It's about time we talk like this. Now, brothers and sisters, the United States form of government is quite unique. As I've been studying the French Revolution over the last 10 years, I've begun to realize how unique our government is. It's like anything that preceded it. The preamble of the Constitution, or President Lincoln's of the people, by the people, and for the people from the Gettysburg Address would most likely be puzzling to the Apostle Paul. Because when St. Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, he spoke of governing authority as the imperial and majestic Caesar of Rome. Remember who was the Caesar at that time when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans? Remember? Who is it? Nero. 
probably the most infamous of all Roman emperors. As a pretend infallible divinity, he ruthlessly persecuted Christians. He made Paul shorter by a head. He crucified Peter upside down on a wooden cross. And only God knows how many Christians suffered and died brutally under Nero's tyrannical rule. The number is most likely enormous. Citizens of the United States elect government officials to exercise the authority of God's left hand, namely God's wrath. When governing authorities abuse or misuse this divine authority or violate their vocation, we can peacefully get rid of them and vote others to replace them. Many of our founding fathers understood the corruption of our humanity. They correctly and they wisely did not trust anyone to exercise full and total authority. They knew that politics had to do with earthly work and that it could only do so much, not everything. Our founding fathers astutely knew that governing is not some utopianly salvational enterprise and that governing authorities are not miniature divine saviors. Instead, the Founding Fathers spread executive, legislative, and judicial authority across three branches and let them fight with each other, sometimes even to the point of gridlock as checks and balances. The last thing in the world our Founding Fathers wanted was an efficient government. I'd better get back to the text. According to Romans 13, the purpose of governing authorities is, as God's creaturely instruments, to punish evil and reward the good. In other words, to keep order and temporal peace. Not to redistribute wealth, not to create a great society, or an equitable society, or any other sort of society. Not to engineer social change, not to provide a safety net against our own recklessness. God instituted governing authorities to do two simple things, to punish evil and reward good, or to put it another way, adjudicate disputes, keep the peace, and protect the peace. I would submit that we need to keep our expectations of government as simple as that. I repeat, are you listening? <laughs> God did not give government to save you. And don't trust any government or any politician for one second in any kind of delusional, salvational, pie-in-the-sky, millennial promises. Psalm 146 categorically warns us, trust not in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. Now, even our money says it, but I don't know for how long. It says what? In God we trust. And if we don't trust the God who Good Friday hung on the cross to save us from sin, death, and hell, I'm here to tell you that no government and no politician in this country will be able to give you salvation. So, brothers and sisters, the life of love that flows from faith in Jesus, who alone saves sinners, is subject to the governing authorities by then rendering taxes to whom taxes are due and revenue to whom revenue is due. Now, who would have ever thought that paying taxes was a spiritual act of worship, a living sacrifice to God? It is, in the way of Romans 12.1. Submission to governing authorities also looks like this, according to the text. Respect 
to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. When we dishonor and disrespect the governing authority, we dishonor and disrespect God, whose authority it is. We have the gift of determining who exercises that authority on our behalf. It's called being informed, using the gift of reason. And so we honor and respect governing authority when we elect honorable and respectable men and women to fill our public offices as stewards of divine authority. So we should expect and we should require them to be of the highest integrity, not given to bribes, corruption, or immorality. In addition to taxes and revenue and honor and respect, I would add, I would humbly add one more thing of being subject to governing authorities, and it's this. It's called prayer. Because Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, godly and respectful in every way. We do that here every Sunday with monotonous repetition. Those who govern us need our prayers because it is an extremely difficult vocation to be a governing official, a judge, a member of the military, or a police officer in our country these days as they serve as God's instruments for our good. So I'm begging you, pray for the police, pray for the president, pray for our senators and representatives, our judges, our governor, and the candidates running for office, the ones you support and even the ones you don't. Pray for them all. Christians do that. They intercede on behalf of others. If we don't pray, who will? Will CNN? Will MSNBC? Will Fox News? No way in? Well, I have to keep it G-rated. Let me make one more pastoral remark, and we'll move on to the prayers. Jesus, you remember, was subject to the governing authorities of his day. He obeyed the laws of his land. He perfectly honored father and mother and every temporal authority that was placed over him in his state of humiliation. Jesus kept the fourth commandment perfectly. Not for himself, but for you. Yes, for you, Jesus became a citizen of this world, lived under a less than perfect government, and he stood before Pontius Pilate, Caesar's local representative, the governor of Judea. He was falsely charged with treason, making himself out to be a king. Jesus, you remember, reminded Pilate that his authority to judge, judge Jesus, either to free him or crucify him, came Remember? Came from above, from God. Jesus was the victim of gross injustice and abuse of the Roman system of justice. And what did God do? He employed it all for the salvation of the world and for yours. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.